How's it going, horror fans? This is Fear on Tap, a weekly podcast dedicated to our love of horror entertainment, haunting rabbit holes, and of course, beer. This is one of your hosts, Miles Dompierre. And this is your other host, Amish Yesson. And welcome to episode four. Already, time flies. Time, time flies. flies. Today, we'll be serving up a couple of big old scoops of the camp-tastic 90s horror comedy, Ice Cream Man. But first, ah, mate, what scary stuff have you been into this week? <laughs> I just want to say first, like, <laughs> serving up a, a couple of big old scoops. I like that. That's clever. <laughs> it's, it's bad. Nice job. I had nice to. Job, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so this week, I've mainly so um, there's a couple of things that came out on uh, Netflix recently, and there's two things that I've been sort of like watching. The first being I watched basically binge watched the whole show in almost a day or maybe two, and it was Archive 81. Have you watched that before? No, it's in my watch list on Netflix because I've had several people tell me, "Hey." If you're into it's X-Files, really if you're into supernatural stuff, check yeah. out Archive 81. It's really good. It's, it's, it's very much a, a sort of modern, but also 90s take on the cosmic aura genre. Like, you don't know what's reality. There's like these dimensions things. You're not sure. Like, it's very, it's very weird. It's, it really melts your brain in some capacity. It's really good. Um... I didn't expect that from that at all. I thought it was going to be a bit more of like a classic, you know, sort of in investigation or, you know, X-File type of thing. But it's even more weird than that. Um, it, it's, it's really good. I definitely uh, recommend people watching it. And uh, I hope there's going to be season two because that would be really dope. And the other thing I watched was um, the Inventing Anna. Who, which is the the story about Anna Delvey, who's this like scam artist that scammed like half of New York or something. <laughs> and uh, that's not as spooky, but I mean, it's wild. So I, I've watched that as well. <laughs> what about you? What have you been watching? So I watched a couple of movies on Hulu this week. Uh, the first one I watched is or was called Exit Plan with Nikolai Coster-Waldo, probably butchering that, Jamie from Game of Thrones, as you okay. might know him. Mm -hmm. uh, it's advertised on Hulu as a horror movie, and the premise sounded interesting. It was basically an insurance investigator who's investigating this weird resort, and the resort is a place where people go to willingly commit suicide. Okay. And... I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. Maybe there's going to be some weird cult stuff going on. Maybe there's going to be a big revelation. But the movie itself is really depressing because okay. our main character has an inoperable brain tumor. And so he is going to this island, not necessarily to investigate it, but to kill himself because he is dying and he doesn't want his wife to suffer through him being you know, unable to recognize who she is. So again, classified as a horror and has some horror elements to it, but mostly just a very heavy, very sad movie. Was it good though? Like, did you enjoy it or? I liked it. It's very weird. There are some, I don't want to spoil it for people who are interested, okay. but there is an overarching mystery that starts to unfold and it has some suggestions that allude to this weird dark sinister plan behind this this resort okay so overall quite enjoyed it it is very abstract very weird and very heavy so if you are going to watch it just make sure you're in that headspace because i wasn't quite in that headspace going okay. into it because i expected someone something else based on the trailer and based on the description of this movie but just know it is dark it is very okay. very dark it's depressing. Like <laughs> Yes. Yes, okay. it is really depressing. And then I watched another one called Sea Fever on Hulu, which was more of just a, a classic creature feature. And this woman goes out on a boat with these fishermen in Ireland, I believe. Okay. And she's investigating basically patterns in, in the ocean. And so they go out to sea in this off-limits zone and their ship is grabbed by a bunch Ooh. of weird, strange tentacles. 
And Classic. so they think this is a bunch of different creatures initially latching onto the side of the ship, burrowing their way in. But it turns out to be this giant entity, this big jellyfish-like entity. And it's got elements of the thing. So if if this gets into your bloodstream, it basically takes your body uh, over and kills you from the inside. Nice. Um, so people are concerned about, you know, who has it? Are you infected? Are you going to spread it to me? And everyone's trapped on this boat. Uh, so if you like that kind of isolation horror, uh, that one's definitely worth checking out. Nice. Oh, I also watched, um, I rewatched actually The Descent. Ooh, which that's I hadn't a watched in so long. And like I watched it when it first came out. Like I was what, 2005 or something like that. I was pretty young. Um, and I watched it and I really remember being freaked out by it. And uh, I rewatched it today, at, uh, yesterday. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it holds up. It's so good, honestly. It, it really makes you feel so claustrophobic. And then on top of that, these weird things happening. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to say too much because you need to like see it to really experience uh, the, the horror that it is because it is something. <laughs> that is definitely one that is on my must watch for folks mm. who ask me, you know, I'm looking to get into horror. What movie should I watch? Descent is always on, on my list because it's so good. It's got great elements of kind of creature dynamics, claustrophobia, uh, stress. And then, yeah, again, don't want to spoil it, but there is a really fantastic build and reveal at the end of this movie. And fantastic cast of uh, uh, only women. That's right. Yeah. So you know to encourage some of your ladies on screen, uh, they 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 are very badass and it's very very spooky. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we got to start talking about the beer that we've mm -hmm. chosen to pair with Ice Cream Man, um, because nothing goes together quite like horror and a good beer. So, what are you bringing to the table? to pair with ice cream man this week so for this one things were a bit easier because you know i think the theme is quite clear in the sense that you know <laughs> there's quite a bit of uh, of beers that are uh you know sort of like smoothie themed or dairy themed or like chocolate or like things like that so i chose the four pine killer door ben and jerry's branded nitro cookie dough ale from Four Pines uh, Brewing Company, uh, which is available both in Australia and Colorado. Um, it is a golden ale. And uh, yeah, they describe as being a sweet and creamy lactose infused golden ale. Stacked filled of chocolate chips and inspired ice cream deliciousness. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, <laughs> the theme of this one's very heavy, very yeah. on the nose in terms of, you know, the beer selection. So what about you? Similar for me, I went with a beer called Shake which is a, uh, a dark chocolate porter from the Boulder Beer Company out of Boulder, Colorado. And this is a very decadent beer that's pretty much a chocolate milkshake in a can. Uh, not overly sweet, but it is rich and creamy. And it's just a, a really beautiful pairing for a movie like Ice Cream Man. Nice. I feel like these are the types of beers that you drink like one and you're good, you know? <laughs> I don't think you drink like you wouldn't get drunk on these like milkshake beers, you know? Yeah, I uh, commend anybody who's crushing a six pack of any beer in the <laughs> style. That is for, that's for damn sure. All right. Well, nice. cheers to episode four and cheers, cheers, cheers to the ice cream man. Nice. Why don't we get into the uh, pointless tally uh, for the ice cream man? Absolutely. So pointless tally is the part of the show where we give you the bullet points of the biggest moments and what to expect from the the horror media of the week. So this week's pointless tally for Ice Cream Man, we have 16 pounds of ground dog meat, 12 hard-packed tombstone decorations, five gallons of extra special Rocky Road, four pairs of jean short shorts, two scoops of concussive force, one eyeball marshmallow, and one severed head Sunday. <laughs> yeah nice <laughs> hey, i have a question for you actually before i get into my uh my awards um because when i was watching the movie they kept saying hard pack and i had never heard of that term in my life like to me i just called it like hard ice cream <laughs> like is that how you call like the ice cream that's not soft that must be a super regional thing because even for me in the u.s i felt the same way they kept calling basically scoops of ice cream hard pack and i had also 
like never heard that phrase before. I had never heard anyone call ice cream hard pack. So I don't know if it's like hyper regional or more of an old fashioned term, but mm. yeah, there's soft serve. Okay. And then I guess this is the opposite of soft serve, okay. which is hard pack, but same the entire time. I'm like, <laughs> I've never heard anyone call ice cream hard pack. What is this? Yeah, I thought I was just like, oh, I'm French, you know, <laughs> like it's whatever. Yeah, but, it yeah, must okay, be some nice. weird U.S. thing. But no, yeah. um, also hadn't heard of it. So, yeah, people, uh, do you call it a hard pack? Like, let us know, <laughs> because honestly, I have never heard that in my life. Yeah, I'd love. Yeah, if you guys do call it hard pack and we're weird to you, let us know, because that was I could not get over it while watching this movie. <laughs> Nice. Okay. And so to this week for the arbitrary awards, I'm still going to go with some letterbox reviews because I had two people who sent me some feedback saying that they thought that was a really good idea. So maybe, maybe we'll, we'll shift towards that. Maybe it's a good idea. Maybe oh, there we'll, we go. We'll switch it. I don't know. You know, we're, we're living and learning and, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know, but yeah, so uh, I have three letterboxed reviews. If you don't know what letterboxed is, it is a platform online that you can sign up to in order to keep a list of the movies that you watch, the things that you want to watch. And you you can also uh, drop reviews for the movies that you've watched, you know, drop your score, uh, write a little bit of a, a review, and you can also look at other people's review. It is not really a social network in the traditional sense. You can't write, you know, uh, statuses or post pictures or anything, or anything like that. It's really just for movie buffs to go on there and talk about movies and that's it. And they have all the movies. I'm telling you, like, the most obscure movie you can think of, they have it. I, I, <laughs> I played that game before trying to find like the most obscure thing that I, I thought they would not have. They have it, believe me. So really good place to be. Go check it out. Letterboxd.com. So for the best Letterboxd reviews for Ice Cream Men, we're going to start with a uh, review from Cobra Rocky, who says, I got to say, I expected more from the director of Edward Penis Hands and Sperm Bitches. <laughs> I got to say, I have not seen Edward Penis Hands or Sperm Bitches. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to watch it. It's not on my watch list. I'm going to say. I'm going to be honest. Um, and for the second, second one, we have Helen18 who says, as pleasant as a brain freeze, <laughs> weird family drama, and unsanitary ice cream. I really like that comment because it's true that a brain freeze is probably one of the worst sensations that you can have in terms of just like, you know, it's it's in the same sort of like scale of walking on the Lego, you know, where you'll get over it pretty quickly, but it just sucks <laughs> like so hard when it happens. Um, and then we have a comment from Nick who says an iconic Clint Howard performance up there with the riveting turn he gave us as nipples in Little Nicky. <laughs> Do you get that that reference? Oh yes, I just watched Little Nicky probably oh, really? like four months ago, pretty recently. Yeah. <laughs> For the first nice. time in a long time. Nice. Yeah. So for those who may not know what I'm talking about, uh, just go on YouTube and type in Clint Howard, Little Nicky. You'll find the scene. It's there. And it's a short. He's not there for a long time, but it's iconic. <laughs> so you need to go watch it. Oh, no, that is a deep cut. Appreciate that. Yeah. Appreciate Nick throwing some respect on Clint Howard's name. Yes. No, but the performance was really good. I'm going to say, like, if I have, like, complaints about the movie, it's not about Clint Howard. No, no. Clint Howard was not the problem with Ice Cream Man, but we'll dive all the way into all of that madness. But first, mm -hmm. something that we meant to do in previous episodes but haven't done is as we dive into the, the broader conversation surrounding Ice Cream Man, there will be spoilers. We will be diving into pretty much every main aspect of Ice Cream Man. So if you feel inclined and you don't want spoilers about this uh, campy, campy 90s movie, be warned moving forward. But for those of you who are along for the ride, Ice Cream Man is a horror comedy from director Paul Norman in 1995 that stars Clint Howard who is the brother of legendary director Ron Howard. Uh, Clint plays a disturbed serial killer Gregory who works as a local ice cream man. After being released from the Wishing Well Sanatorium, his obsession with ice cream eventually escalates to him murdering neighborhood children and using their bodies in his special ice cream recipes. It's up to a ragtag group of kids who call themselves the Rocketeers to expose the terrifying truth about Gregory and 
his extra special Rocky Road. So <laughs> what are your thoughts? I had seen this movie. You had yes. not seen it before this episode. I hadn't watched it in a good 15 to 18 years. Mm -hmm. Like it had been a long time. And it was really surreal to kind of revisit this weird moment in time. So I want to get your overall thoughts as someone going into Ice Cream Man for the very first time. Yeah, so I'm going to say, so th for this episode, because usually we usually sort of give each other, um, you know, a movie that we want to watch for the next one. And we try to sort of like alternate who chooses the next one. And this is one that Miles has been asking for since episode one. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, I wasn't feeling it because I have something about like food horror, if that makes sense. Like I find people who are gross with food like it, it it gives me a physical reaction like people who are being unsanitary with food and, and foods and things like that i hate it <laughs> so i was like oh no i don't want to watch some guy like messing <laughs> up with ice cream or something like but i was like okay you know we'll, we'll watch it it's whatever but yeah overall my thoughts um it's a really wild film um <laughs> is the best way i could put it but i don't think i would say it's a good movie um, I didn't enjoy it that much. Like there were some periods of time, especially towards the end, I would say like, la the last act where I was like, can this movie just fucking end? Like, <laughs> like it was, I was like in, in this prison and it would, it was never ending. And it's not that long. It's like one hour, one hour and 30 minutes or something, maybe a little bit over. And I, I don't know. It, it's the acting for most people in the movie is not great. Uh, Clint Howard is great though don't get me wrong i actually really enjoyed his performance i think that he is creepy as fuck and that's what's needed for this movie so i thought he did a great job um and i don't necessarily hate the premise of the movie it's not an original premise we've seen it sort of before um but the story itself like the idea of the story is fine it's just i thought that the pace was really all over the place and also i really didn't like the children that much um and overall i didn't love the movie just period you know i didn't i didn't really love it i wouldn't necessarily recommend it but i would recommend it for anyone who's like really really like a big movie buff like a horror movie buff and loves these sort of bad movies bad horror movies from the 90s and the 80s sure watch it it's worth for for the clint howard performance i would say and some of the really hilarious scenes that are in there because there's a few high moments um but as a whole if you're someone who's not necessarily looking to uh watch a movie like that i wouldn't necessarily rec you, you can skip it probably and just like watch it instead or something <laughs> but yeah yeah this is not a horror film that i would recommend for uh the average viewer uh, yeah, this exactly. is definitely curated for people who love campy horror films and just want something you know, weird and odd because there is something about this movie that is just so unique in the sense that it feels like a waking nightmare. The entire yeah. movie feels like a disjointed fever dream. Yeah. Um, which ties into some of the kind of themes of, of mental health that they touch on in this, not in any sensitive way. This movie is yeah, very insensitive about mental health that's another big thing of mine that we we're gonna get into a bit uh, in a bit but yeah this is a big part of why i didn't love it <laughs> yeah so it's it's mid 90s it's very much of that era the fashion is terrible a lot of jean short shorts a lot of flannel a lot of terrible haircuts a lot of dumb kid nicknames you touched on the kids you don't like they're calling each other there's the fat one they're calling tuna hey tuna derp and then there's a uh, small paul who's the little dweeb and there's this ragtag group of kids that call themselves the Rocketeers. And when they're on screen, the entire tone of the movie feels completely different and no longer feels like a horror movie. It feels like a weird family comedy. And so yeah. the, the tone of the movie is all over the place. You have a scene where, you know, our, our main character, uh, Clint Howard Gregory is, is being really creepy and disturbing in, in, in a van. And, you know, they pan over and there's like disgusting bugs and like body parts and all of this gross stuff in his ice cream. And then you go to the next scene and it's the kids, you know, at the playground messing around. <laughs> and it's it's just 
it feels so disjointed in that way. Mm, yeah, it's it's an odd movie. It's it's very it's hard to explain. Even like I've watched it two days ago now, and I'm still not fully. I'm not. I haven't process, processed it fully. Still, I think it's really odd. I feel like I, I would need to watch it again. I don't know, and I don't want to though. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those movies that it is layered in a lot of ways and there's a lot of different uh, unique elements to it but then certain things are just beating you over the skull the soundtrack the score to this movie oh my god oh yeah. my i literally made me feel like i was going insane while watching it because of how obnoxious and discordant and over the top the music is it sounds like a nightmarish circus for an hour and a half you know what it felt like? It felt like my ADHD was being like shown to me on screen. Like because <laughs> <laughs> because they also throw at you so many side characters story that they never flesh out at all. Like, you know like the father of the girl who's like super religious and there's this, like this whole thing with with her mom um who's, you know, speaking in tongues and stuff like that and they just show you that it's super extreme, it's very intense. And then they never talk about it again. <laughs> um, then there's uh, the 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 father of the guy with the fake fat suit um, who has an affair with this blonde lady who seems to be just a girl inviting random men over to have sex. Like, what is that? <laughs> and they never they never flesh out anything. They just throw at you these random ass fucking stories. And then they try to come back to the main story. But then they have like the kids going to the father's office for like no reason just to get coins to buy ice cream. It's so weird. There's so much going on in this movie. And yeah, the soundtrack was a lot. <laughs> the sound. Oh, the soundtrack. I was laughing out loud to myself while watching it because it was so aggressive. It was <laughs> so yelling at me. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I was so hard for me to concentrate on anything else because that music was just drilling its way into the center of my brain. Oh my God. Yeah. So there's still high moments like, you know, in the movie, I think maybe we can go over some of our favorite uh, scenes because I think before we maybe flesh out the bad and some of our criticism surrounding, you know, like we said, mental health and things like that. Um, there is still a lot of funny <laughs> moments in this film that I haven't seen in other movies before. Um, so do you want to go into maybe some of your favorite scenes or kills uh, that uh, you saw in the movie that, you know, are staying with you? Yes, absolutely. So like most campy 80s and 90s horror, a lot of this movie exists just to set up kills and terrible one liners. There is a lot of emphasis, as there should be, on kills and one liners. One of my favorite scenes in this is there are these two cop characters who are investigating the, the disappearances of these children in the neighborhood. And so they go up to Gregory while he's in this ice cream truck and they order ice cream. One of them wants, uh, you know, two scoops of hard pack Rocky Road. And so Gregory's like, yeah, no problem. I'll get that for you. And he goes, <laughs> Ew, oh, no, you have it so good. I <laughs> know uh, it's pretty good. huh? If, if you've seen the movie. Oh, no, I hate it. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> So he's like, yeah, I'll get that for you. And so he goes and he gets a couple of scoops of Rocky Road and it's like touching his hands and it's all disgusting. Like there's no care or anything to it. Puts it in there. And then he has this little like jar of eyeballs and he takes one of the eyeballs and he takes like basically like a punch and he just punches out the center of this eyeball and like sticks it with his finger in the top of the ice cream as like the, the marshmallow on top. And then it cuts to the cop getting it, eating it and taking a bite. And then you just see him like moving the eyeball <laughs> chunk around in his mouth with the Rocky Road ice cream. And it's just ugh, it's disgusting, but it's such a unique scene. I've never seen a scene like that in any other movie before. Yeah, no. And I feel like if it, <laughs> it felt a little bit unrealistic because I feel like if you were having this weird texture in your mouth, you'd be like, what the fuck is that? Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't I didn't order an ice cream with like gelatin <laughs> in it. Like, what's going on? Ooh, yeah, that one. That one hits. So that's one of my favorites. Uh, what about you? What are the standouts for you? 
I think for me, the one that made me like cackle out loud was when he was invited over uh, by this woman. I can't remember her name. I don't even know she she has a name. Um, the the like sexy lady of the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. um, she invites him over, um, and he just kills her. Uh, you know, um, guy that she's sleeping with, which I think is the father of the the little boy. Um, and he just <laughs> shows her. <laughs> The ice cream, which is like giant cone, by the way, like <laughs> giant ass sugar cone of ice cream with the man's like head in it. And she just turns around. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just the most random ass like scene because you're like, why did you do that? <laughs> because it's so weird because it's unclear. And then they get into the whole like mental health aspect after. But because at first I couldn't understand why he was doing that stuff. because. He, because you said earlier, I'm not sure if he actually killed any kids because he definitely killed the guy, the like the janitor from the the park. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that he killed any children. Am I wrong or did I miss it in the mess that it was? So, yeah, I guess small Paul is missing. And so they assume. Yeah, but he doesn't kill him. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Because, yeah, because he doesn't seem to like kill the children, but he definitely, I feel like he definitely thinks about it, though, because. There's a lot of scenes in where he's chasing the children um, and definitely seems very aggressive. Like this whole. Oh, yeah. And and that's maybe not in a good scene like highlight, but it's definitely a scene that to me was completely wild was the chase in the grocery store. Oh, my God. It was (laughs) one of the weirdest and longest scenes in the movie. And then you have the the kid running around with. He's like, st- so Gregory's and in the like grocery so store <laughs> and there's kids running around hiding under produce, like hiding in the back stock room. And it was, yeah, that scene was just so dumb, like such a weird, <laughs> long, dumb scene. It felt unreal because it was super long. And also people are just casually doing their groceries while these two people are running around, throwing shit on the floor, like doing whatever. And he's like hiding in the most, obviously you can see it. Like some at some point he goes under like, you know, in the 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 grocery store caddy, he just goes under the caddy where you put boxes and stuff like that. Like you could see that. Like that's not a hiding place. Like what the fuck are you talking about? And so they're they're playing this game of like cat and mouse in the grocery store while nobody seems to care. <laughs> like nobody seems to care that this weird ass man is chasing after a little boy, and then he ends up in like the meat back store or something. <laughs> and i don't understand like what was that scene for because he was there with his mom like what huh like the mom would have clearly left the store if he like kidnapped him for example the mom would have left the store being like oh my god where's my kid and then everybody would have been like yeah the ice cream man took him like what like (laughs) it it made no sense to me and i'm still upset about it yeah that is one of those scenes that that stands out in this movie because it just it serves no purpose in the grand scheme of things here. And it well, goes a lot on. Of s- like that. Yeah. They're really, like they have an idea and they say, we're going to do this scene and they film that scene. And then like you mentioned, it's completely disconnected from anything else or they never touch <laughs> on the things they build on ever again. Yeah. Like I'm still not over that mom who is like possessed or something like talking tongues in the house and the girl's just like, oh, I'm just going to go to bed. Like That whatever. was one of the most disturbing scenes of the entire movie. So you have this this pastor character who is a big religious person preaching to people for one scene. That's how they set him up is there's a church scene. He is he is preaching to the, the audience. They eventually all the kids meet up at that person's house because one of the, the kids in their group, that's their dad. And then they walk into the house and yeah, the, the mother is strapped to a chair and she's like convulsing and speaking in tongues and just being hysterical. And then the dad comes over and basically is, is talking to her and is telling these kids that Jesus Christ is speaking through their mother, who is just like yeah. strapped to a chair in their living room, obviously incredibly unwell. And like that particular scene, so aggressive, so jarring never touched on again like that dynamic is never ever touched on again yeah it's and there's like a lot of um moments too where they sort of like start this thing like at the beginning of the movie um when 
he kills this janitor guy. Um, and then nobody really cares. Like, it, they start to care whenever little Paul starts missing. But then the janitor guy's guy dies. The children acknowledge it, like, once. And then nobody ever mentions that again. Like, did this guy just die in vain for no reason? <laughs> Like why? Like he deserved better. Like he's a father. Yeah, he's, nobody he's probably cared the about brother this guy. of someone. <laughs> he's yeah. the son of a lady. For crying out loud. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. There's again. We I guess we've pretty much touched on on the highlights. The ice cream cone head is one is easily one of one of the best scenes in the movie. Such such a great scene. Another one that I love because it's just so unbelievably dumb, and I don't know why they decided to do it is that the two cops eventually start to discover what's going on with Gregory. They go to his like ice cream factory, if you will. Um, they, they pin him in the ice cream truck. And so he's, he's in there. They're telling him to come out. So they eventually get the door open. He's not inside, but instead he's on top of the ice cream truck and he jumps off the ice cream truck with two ice cream scoops and knocks them both out with like one hit to the head with these ice cream scoops. (laughs) So unbelievably dumb. I was, I was laughing so hard because I just, it's one of those things you can't believe that they actually said, yeah, we're going to put this in the movie. Yeah, and it, and in other scene, uh, like uh, another like sort of fever dream scene is the cops being chased out of the 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 sanitary um sanatorium hospital by the patients there. Like they're just being chased out outside by these people like, as if they're like wild zombies or some shit, and they just leave, you know. And it's just that's that. And I'm like, are we not gonna? <laughs> do like a full a full SWAT moment at the hospital because tech like something's going on there like what the fuck you know if I was the police I would be like okay SWAT coming to the hospital right now you know because these people are unhinged you know it's so I guess to set up Gregory and and his relationship to the wishing well sanatorium the opening scene which this movie starts with a bang you got to admit it's like yeah, this 1950s, true. like really picturesque neighborhood. There's the ice cream man pulling up with his music and he's getting ready to serve ice cream to the kids. A bunch of mobsters drive by straight up with Gatling guns and do a drive by mm. shooting, murder the ice cream man in front of all these kids. <laughs> yeah. Gregory's sitting there with his ice cream cone covered in blood, just eating ice cream for the opening scene. And yeah. that's pretty much the only explanation they give you as to his motivations in in this yeah. world. Yeah, and they don't address any anything mental health related is uh, absolutely butchered in, in this movie. Like the worst tropes that you can think of are all there. Um, you know, to 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 say that someone who had a traumatic event when they were younger, um, no matter no matter how intense it is, doesn't make you first of all, doesn't necessarily make you into a uh, sanatorium patient automatically and then second of all doesn't make you into a fucking murderer for no like it's a lot of movie movies do this to be honest like the the trope of the schizophrenic crazy man i'm doing quotes in the air right now as if anybody (laughs) but (laughs) like and that's something that we've seen over and over and over and over again throughout the years especially in horror i think horror uh has been really bad when it comes to mental health um in the past and still today, but I think it's getting a little bit better. We've, we often, we often seen in the horror movie, uh, someone who has a mental illness is either the villain or some really sad side character that you go visit in a hospital, you know, uh, and they're like super, uh, you know, sad and vulnerable. And there's no, there's never any mention of mental health. That's just normal or that's, from you know the main character having a mental illness or like anything like that it's always it always has to be a twist for the villain or some sad pathetic character that you visit once um and it's really annoying and this movie really doubles down on all of this a lot um when they go to the sanitarium it's also this depiction of these places being full of people who basically just act like animals um and like I said, like they do this whole chase scene where all the patients just come out of their rooms and they just chase after the cops as if they're like 
wild zombies or something. Um, and it's a little, it's like a little offensive and I'm not someone who's e- easily offended, but I see that and I'm just like, was that necessary? Like, I feel like they could have done this entire movie without that as a justification. They could have just said, Hey, this guy is an ice cream man and he kills people. Like that's why isn't that enough? Like they always have to find this sort of backstory of, Oh, it's just because he's crazy. Like uh, why? It's so annoying. And they show, you know, like this uh, typical, again, another uh, trope with the lobotomy patients, you know, who like go insane and like, yeah, it's kind of annoying. Yeah. There is zero nuance to the way that, you know, mental health is, is handled in this. As you touched on, they kind of set up this scenario where maybe the people who run the the sanatorium are bad. They they yeah. set up this scenario where maybe they're abusive, maybe they're, you know, they're they're not fit Making to run experimentation. it. Experimentation. And so you're like, you ha- have like an interesting conversation that can be had there where you're like, okay, well, these people are nefarious and that's bad. And obviously they're abusing him in his vulnerable state, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then you have that scene you're talking about where all the patients have basically overthrown the sanatorium and are have murdered the doctors and mm. are now just running absolutely wild, just just reckless, mad people that are will kill anyone who comes within contact of them. And that's kind of the entire vibe that all of these mental patients serve in this movie. And yeah, you touched on some interesting points about horror not doing a good job. One of yeah. one of my pet peeves in horror is when they use demons as an explanation for mental illness. So this person, this person isn't mentally ill. It's actually a demon that has possessed them. That one for me drives me absolutely nuts and I cannot stand it. Well, and I hate the, uh, the, the contrary of that as well, in the sense that when they use mental health as the twist, you know, where it's like, oh, she's actually not possessed by ghosts. She's just crazy. You know, like, whoa, wacky. Like the other, yeah, the, I hate both. Like, <laughs> like, I hate both when they sort of uh, use the demon as the sort of like a scapegoat for it. And then I hate when it's the other way around as well, um, because the thing that I find and, you know, a lot of people will argue saying it's a movie. It's not real. They can do whatever they want. And it's like, OK, but at the same time, you know, when we normalize these conversations, we just need to be careful about what we're doing, because I think it's not impossible to have, uh, you know, mental illness being a subject of a, of, a, of a horror film. It's just that you need to make sure that you're working with people and consultants and ideally even actors who know about mental illness and who can help write a good story relating to these different types of struggle and also making sure that you're not harming anybody in the story that you're making, because the thing is. When you see something like that, and even though most people uh, can say, oh, it's just a movie, you know, I don't think that sanitariums or uh, psych wards are like that. Um, maybe some younger people who are less educated and see these types of movies for the first time, it can help. It can sort of like help uh, reinforce some bad stereotypes about uh, mental illness and about these institutions, because if we're real, a lot of these institutions, yeah, there's a lot of issues when it comes to mental health resources. And there's a lot that I think uh, the different countries, I mean, you're in the US, I'm in Canada, but we both have different types of issues when it comes to healthcare and things like that. But these places help a lot of people and also are necessary in some cases. And also people who are struggling with mental illness are not monsters. (laughs) And it's not because you are dealing with schizophrenia or any type of Uh, mental illness that you're going to automatically become this uh, unhinged killer, you know, killing children, you know? So it's something to keep in mind just whenever you're, maybe if you're an aspiring writer for (laughs) movies or games or anything like that, it's easy to fall into these tropes uh, that we've seen times and times again, because it's comfortable because it's stories that we've heard before. But honestly, we can be a little better than that. And we can do we we can do better. And I think we're starting to get there um, in the, the horror genre, both in games and in movies. I think that the creepy wheelchair in an empty hallway of an asylum is something that we're starting to see less and less. But <laughs> but it's still a problem. And Ice Cream Man is sort of like highlighting all of these problems like within one film. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Definitely a relic of its time in a lot of ways in terms of how mental illness was portrayed in horror mm. um yes so i guess to get a little little personal here um my, my dad has schizophrenia 
So mm-hmm. my dad, that's something my dad has, has struggled with his, his entire life. And that's something that my family has to deal with. And the way that, you know, certain films or the public perceives, quote unquote, being crazy. Yeah. Um, he's directly takes offense to that. So these oh, yeah, kind of, of negative connotations and these negative expectations of him, you know, make him, you know, not want to take medication because mm. he feels like if he's taking medication, he is crazy and being quote unquote crazy is, you know, a problem. And we are seeing horror films touch on it in better ways. And I think quite frankly, the human brain is, is one of the most horrifying mm-hmm. pieces of subject matter because yeah, the, there are people who literally have no control over or certain aspects of, of their own lives. And to me, that's, that's absolutely horrifying. But like yeah. you said, you got to touch on reality. You got to talk to people who are dealing with it and make sure yeah. there's some level of care and nuance if you are going to use that as the justification for someone being a, a serial killer or going on a murderous rampage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because like you said, I think any subject can be, you know, the the subject of a movie, honestly. Like, I think I think anything can be talked about. It's just that it needs to be made in a loving, uh, loving and caring way because, you know, it's it's easy to to go into things that we're sort of used to used to seeing. And also most of the stereotypes and biases that we have are not necessarily things that we think of on purpose you know it's just stuff that society sort of like has taught us over time and it's easy to sort of just follow that that trend and not really ask ourselves questions but it's just you know to to make sure that we're self-aware and introspective and yeah i think the best way like there's been the best way to do it is really to involve you know people that know what they're talking about and like if you're someone who is talking i don't know uh, for example about disability about mental illness um, you know, even about, you know, women or femi- feminism or women's issues, even when we're talking about, uh, you know, in a lot of horror movie, there's a lot of uh, scenes like sexual assault and like very sensitive subjects like that. It's just to make sure that you're consulting if you're not someone who has dealt with these issues. And even if you are, not everybody's made the same. So you need to make sure that, you know, you're not just relying on your own experience, but also other people's experience. I think we all need to be a bit more sensitive and a bit more purposeful with what we're writing about and talking about. Um, because it can be super harmful, uh, and we don't notice it because it's kind of casual, especially if it doesn't affect you directly, you kind of brush it off. Like for you, it doesn't affect you, but it is affecting other people who are living with mental illness, with disabilities, with, you know, these traumas that they've had in their lives. And it's important to, to just be aware of that. And yeah, like there's been a lot of different criticism over the last few years for similar, um, Things like, for example, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, Sia made a movie about autism. Oh, yes. I didn't watch <laughs> it, but I remember when that came out and yeah. all of the uh, buzz, if you will, surrounding yeah, that. Exactly. Because I think there's, uh, I think we're doing better now because people are holding people accountable more now, I think. Um, because she, uh, if you're not aware, you can go read about it. There's a lot of articles about it. But basically, Sia made a movie um, uh, uh, with a protagonist who is autistic. And I think the movie's called Music or something like that. And uh, the actor, first of all, is not autistic. And also, she did not bring on any autistic cons- consultants or actors and she said that because she didn't want to put pressure on them, which is a wild sort of assumption that you're making <laughs> um, and uh, saying that, oh, making a movie is too stressful in, of an environment for autistic people, which is just a wild assumption, because if sh- she had spent any time trying to have that happen, she would have realized that there's a lot of people who work in film <laughs> who are autistic <laughs> and who would be happy to work with her to make a proper you know, movie. Uh, about a protagonist who is autistic so a lot of backlash there so i think now i think people are uh you know more vocal about their their complaints when it comes to these things which is good in a lot of aspects and some other aspects maybe less but when it comes to keeping people accountable i think that's important um but back in the 90s uh there were no such thing as uh, twitter and uh, the internet to to keep you know ice cream man and check you know <laughs> exactly exactly ice cream man exists as this uh fascinating relic of of 
what could exist in Hollywood uh, 20, yeah. 20 some years ago. Um, yeah. So obviously we had some, some nice long conversations about, you know, the fundamental areas that this movie fails. Um, yeah. but, but touching on uh, some fun kind of anecdotal details about this as I was doing some research on the film. Um, so the movie was actually sponsored in part by Converse, the shoe company. Um, so one thing that I noticed while watching it is there were a lot of awkward camera shots of people's feet. True. And, and, like, <laughs> and before I read this little fun fact, it, it didn't make any sense. It was like, there is no reason why you're, you should zoom in on someone's foot here for this scene. But now we know that Converse paid for it. And a lot of the kids in the movie were wearing Chuck Taylors. So they were making sure to highlight the fact that the kids in Ice Cream Man were wearing Converse shoes, which just is That's so why. weird. Because I was wondering, too, I was like, why are they showing these feet all the time? <laughs> and everybody's wearing fucking chocks like everybody. <laughs> yeah, it was wild. It made no sense. But there that, there you go. Converse said, ah. we're putting money in this movie. We want to see some shoes on screen. And they they obliged. <laughs> See, there was there were there were movies before Jack and Jill that were <laughs> that were shelling the products in very uh, non subtle ways, even before Jack and Jill, which is probably the worst movie in history. Who did that, in my opinion? But yeah, that was that's one of the worst movies in history. Period. Yeah, period. It's right. That yeah, movie, I, agree. I couldn't believe it. I heard oh. it was bad, and it looked bad. I remember seeing trailers for it, and I you know watched it as a joke. To, ah, let's see what Adam Sandler's up to. Holy. Shit, dude, that movie sucks so yeah. hard. It just felt like a like a like the most obvious cash grab I've ever seen in my entire life. Like just like Adam Sandler is like, okay, uh, we're gonna make some millions. I'm gonna give some millions to my buds, to myself, and uh, we're just gonna be sponsored by everybody that exists and <laughs> make this horrible movie. <laughs> Anyways, Jack yeah, and Jill. I, uh, that's shout for out for Adam day, Sandler for at least oh. you know getting his his homies paid. God, I gotta give exactly. him props there. So. <laughs> I'm not going to fault a guy for going out there and getting the bag, as the kids yeah. say, you know? Um, so the movie was originally targeting a PG-13 rating, which, if you've seen this movie, is maddening. The fact that they had the, this premise of a killer ice cream man who puts body parts in ice cream, and they were targeting a PG-13 rating, which is probably why the tone of this feels all over the place. Because there are mm. some scenes where... You watch it like I talked about it, and it's like this feels like a family comedy. This doesn't feel like a horror movie at all. And then you have a dog getting thrown in like a meat grinder and you're just like, what? what? Oh, yeah. I forgot that. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. It's so. <laughs> yes. Targeting a PG-13 rating and the, the script's first draft of this movie was written in three days, which also explains Ooh. a lot of our gripes about why the hell most of these scenes were there and how they have no meaning in the overall story yeah <laughs> i wonder if this is the type of, of like process that just a bunch of dudes who went to a to a cottage one weekend they were like okay let's write a movie about okay listen to me out dudes hear me out it's gonna be an ice cream man okay it's gonna be clint howard because he he slaps and <laughs> <laughs> and then there's these kids okay and then he he kills a janitor but like also maybe kids but maybe not but then he, and then there's a chase and then there's the mom of the girl who's also speaking tongues but then also the father of the guy with uh the the, the fake uh, fat suit we'll figure that out he's he's uh, he's cheating on the mom with the lady and then you know it's you know how children tell stories with and then and, and then, then and then and then <laughs> and then nothing makes sense and you're like ah okay oh yeah, yeah. that's nice oh, yeah. honey yeah, exactly. you're like, are you done now? I felt like that was ice cream, man. Just like a little boy trying to tell me a story that never ends. <laughs> yeah, you are 100% right. Oh, yeah. But what if the uh, what if Gregory's hero, the uh, the ice cream king, what if he was actually involved with the mob? And that's the oh reason he gets executed. And you're like, why? Why are you adding all these unnecessary things? It's like somebody who's caught in a lie and they start throwing out all these like random extra details that you don't need. Yeah. You don't need that info. You, you really don't. It doesn't need to be there, but they just want to make sure that you believe them. Okay. Trust yeah. me. This is going to be a hit. They go on 12 tangents like that. You don't need to know about. Oh, oh my God. I'm crying. <laughs> Oh, uh, so the infamous sanitarium scene, uh, sanatorium scene we were talking oh. about, was actually shot at an abandoned sanatorium in Pasadena, 
And Ooh. all the, the graffiti and the satanic drawings that were on the wall were, were actually there from likely the, the youth that were going there Ooh. to party. But um, so, yeah, you know, shout they, out to the sanitarium in Pasadena. Shout out. Shout out. So I wonder if it's still there if they, if they, if they put it down, probably. That, yeah, it's know. interesting. Like growing up, we would tr- try so hard to find the abandoned places like that. And they were they were so hard. Like most of them are like destroyed. Mm. You, it's so hard to find an abandoned, cool, creepy place like that in, in the U.S. anymore. Yeah, oftentimes, same in Canada. Like when we were little, there was this uh, place with, which was an asylum. Um, and at some point, so it, it went through a few stages because they switched owners a couple of times. Because oftentimes what happens is that the, the people who will, the people will buy land um, and they won't necessarily decide yet what to do with these like old buildings. So it, it'll kind of just stay there for a while while they're figuring shit out. Um, either sell, resell the, 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 the land or do something else or like whatever. And uh, there was this uh, asylum who uh, initially was kind of just abandoned there and people would kind of go as they pleased and police would have to sort of uh, stay around because there was a lot of um, issues and people and it's it's a dangerous building because obviously it's not taken care of and you know things could happen um, like falling down the stairs or you know whatever it is and at some point there's a couple that bought the land and then they sort of saw it as a tourist attraction but sort of under the radar <laughs> so you could pay the guy I think it was like five or ten bucks to go there um and you had to sign this like waiver saying that you're you're, you're, they're not responsible if anything happens to you like if you get in an accident or whatever it is uh which i think is void whenever you know because there's this is not like an attraction this was just like some random guy you know letting people go on his land so i don't know what was the law behind that but yeah it was dangerous i never went um but a lot of people a lot of people went there and it was like the big place you know that people would go to all the time and uh now it's no longer um it is a uh, it is it's been bulldozed as the kids say so <sighs> pour one out pour yep. one out for that legend yeah, but that that was the big one that all the kids would go to and uh, spook spook each other out and all of that. People would go at night, and it was very creepy. Um, but uh, yeah, Th- that's the only one I'm aware of because outside of that, I don't I don't think there's any other ones that are creepy. There's a couple of like abandoned factories that you can go to, but that's more for urban acts more than the creepy stuff. So what do we got for our weekly rabbit hole this week? Outside of um, absolutely loving ice cream, man. <laughs> what's uh what's caught your attention yeah we went through so many emotions there i know um, so for the weekly rabbit hole so this is one that isn't weekly per se because it's something that i almost started a podcast over um like a while back because as some people who are listening to this podcast and know me i'm obsessed with anything that's cult related um and so i end up most often time researching about cults, uh, dead religions, or even active, you know, religions like different denominations and stuff like that. And um, one that is still very active, um, but less successful than they pretend they are, um, because they're not that cool, is Scientology. And that's a very main thing that people are aware of. Like people are aware that Scientology exists. Most people are just like, oh, that's just silly. That's just a silly, you know, Tom Cruise. <laughs> you know, South Park. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think people are sort of diminishing the actual harm that Scientology causes and the actual horrors of this cult because it is a cult. It is not a religion. They are uh, they are tax exempt because they, 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 they say they're a religion. But they are not. In fact, in a lot of countries, they are considered a cult. They're not considered as a religion. They are still considered as a religion in the U.S., despite a lot of efforts from, um, you know, past Scientologists and lawyers who tried to go after them. But the problem with Scientology is that a lot of the people on top uh, on the top um, are very wealthy people um, and have the means to terrorize, uh, you know, people who leave Scientology and try to go after them. So a lot of people give up their efforts because they don't have the means to fight against people who have so much money. Um, And so I really want people to sort of 
really go deeper, I think, in Scientology, because I think the more people are exposing the harm that Scientology is doing, the the better it can get for uh, people who are leaving uh, this cult. And a lot of the uh, active members are in the U.S., but there are active members in Canada, in Asia, uh, in Europe. Uh, I think that all in all, there's about 50,000 active Scientologists in the world, which is way less than it used to be. So this is good, but it's not enough <laughs> um, because they are doing a lot of harm. But maybe just to go into the ridiculousness that is Scientology, just to give a bit of a premise to what it is, uh, Scientology was created by L. Ron Hubbard, um, who is initially uh, was, was uh, holding the Guinness record for uh, one of the men that wrote the most amount of sci uh, science fiction books. So that gives you <laughs> that gives you sort of the the idea of who is leading this cult and this quote unquote religion. Um, and uh, he says from the lore of Scientology, you know, they say that Zenu was a, a dictator of the Galactic Confederacy who brought billions of his people to Earth um, and stacked them around volcanoes, killed them with hydrogen hydrogen bombs, and then the this disembodied victim soul which Hubbard called Thetans, which is today the, what they use to uh, say that you're cleared because there's different levels in Scientology that you can reach. And they say that the higher you get, the more you get rid of the Thetans. Um, and they were blown into the air by the blast. Um, and basically, all in all, the Thetans are these exploded souls that are sticking to us and that basically are brainwashing us into living in this unfree society and as you grow in scientology you get rid of the thetans that are stuck to your body and you become a free and clear being um and it's completely nonsense it's complete nonsense <laughs> and there's a lot of material that you can consult um to research about scientology one of my favorites um thing that you can listen to because i think it's easily digestible and also if you're a fan of podcasts uh you might enjoy this as well so ono ross and carrie podcast is uh, a podcast where they investigate claims of the paranormal fringe science and things like that. And they not only investigate these things, they actually uh, join them uh, so you don't have to <laughs> in order to report on the activities of whatever cult or group they're investigating about. They've done a, I think, 10 episodes series on Scientology, which went really in depth. They both joined Scientology for multiple years um, to research uh, that stuff. Uh, at different you know levels they have about i think each uh spent a lot of money into into that um and it's very in-depth uh they followed up on scientology even after being kicked out it's it's a whole process so definitely go check out their episode uh their episodes because there's multiple ones oh no russ and carrie there's also Leah Remini, who is a uh, ex Scientologist and also uh, actress from uh, King of Queens, <laughs> who played <Shout> out. <laughs> who played in this uh, TV show that was beloved, um, and she is a probably one of the most outspoken, um, you know, sort of detractors uh, of Scientology. She grew up in Scientology and spent uh, more than thirty years uh, being a devoted scientologist and now she is basically spending every moment of her waking hours <laughs> going after them so she has a podcast called fair game and also a tv show called scientology in the aftermath definitely go check that out and uh there is louis theroux who made a movie called my scientology movie which is a little bit more lighthearted, but still very terrifying and uh yeah so definitely go check that out talk about it complain about it because they should not be tax exempt in the u.s that is absolutely ridiculous and I think the more people complain about it, the better it'll be in the future when they will ultimately be deemed as a cult because that's what they are. I should have told you before we did this that I am part of the Church of Scientology. So no awkward. That's just I'm leaving. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> no, yes, uh, the the Scientology as a quote unquote religion, absolutely fascinating. It's a rabbit hole <laughs> I've gone down myself because. Like, like the South Park episode infamously made fun of, the stuff that they believe is absolutely outlandish. And like you said, this is coming from a science fiction author. So a science fiction yeah. author basically came out and was able to write a religion and sell people on this religion that now makes a ton of money. And a lot of this religion is built on buying into it. You have to pay. It's not only... 
you don't progress naturally through the ranks of this. You nope. have to pay X dollars if you oh, want to yeah. move up and, and release your, your thetans, which they blame for depression. They blame for anger. Mm-hmm. Like all of your bad negative emotions are tied to thetans, which is it's it's wild. So, yeah, and the anti-psychology as well, uh, anti a lot of medical, you know, they're very much anti-vax um, and all of that good stuff. And I find it wild because also L. Ron Hubbard is like a, a well-known stolen valor, um, which in the U.S., you know, where like the army and the military is something that's so sacred. I find completely weird that he's not being called out about that stuff more because he lied about his entire life pretty much <laughs> and uh, his military accomplishments as well. Which, you know, I'm like, why are nobody, you know, talking about this shit anyways? But yeah, so that's the rabbit hole I invite you to go into. You might get mad in the process. Just just a, a little disclaimer, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about the hometown horror for something more lighthearted? <laughs> yeah, let's get into some, some, some lighthearted fun spooks here. So hometown horror is the part of the show where we want your local urban legends, scary stories, and unexplainable experiences. If you have a hometown horror story to share, shoot us an email at fearontoppodcast at gmail.com. Today's hometown horror story is Shalepi's Haunted Pizza Parlor in Castle Rock, Colorado. And I know what you're thinking. A haunted pizza parlor? What? That doesn't sound spooky at all. Um, but we've, we've uncovered some fascinating stuff since my wife and I moved here from California a couple about a year and a half ago so we live in a smaller town south of denver that's called castle rock as part of our kind of onboarding ritual we checked out the quaint downtown and we were looking for cool shops and most importantly some restaurants um coming from la we got to find the, the cool spots to eat so one particular restaurant caught our eye and it was this italian place called Chileppi's. uh and what initially drew our attention to this was the building looks like an old church it's, it's very ornate, very decorative. So we stopped in for lunch one day and had a fantastic time. After leaving, we decided to do some research about the design of the building because we noticed the interior as well is very much uh, traditional, very much looks like the inside of a church. So it's a really interesting, specific building. So it turns out that the reason this building looks like an old church is because it is an old church. This was the first ever Catholic church in Castle Rock. And it was converted into a restaurant in the 70s. And then doing some more digging, we found out that this particular restaurant is considered one of the most haunted places in Colorado. So Chileppi's, which is an Italian restaurant pizzeria, frequently gets calls from ghost hunting teams interested in investigating the former holy grounds. This is likely because the back portion of the restaurant and its parking lot were built on top of a, wait for it, old cemetery. So... (laughs) This uh, Italian restaurant apparently is built on an old cemetery that was part of an old Catholic church. And so employees and guests frequently report strange occurrences and even sounds they describe as sobbing or moaning. Several employees have complained of utensils and kitchen appliances moving or even turning on of their own accord. One particular guest also reported seeing a ghostly figure lighting candles within the restaurant after hours. While these reports might scare off some, it's a risk that I'm willing to take because their Big Mac pizza, oh my God, it's absolutely out of this world. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. The good, the good old cemetery uh, grounds. Uh, you know, uh, there's, there's just something about, uh, about that that sort of, it, it's kind of like this, co- this comfortable horror uh, story that you go back a lot. And I still love it to this day. Like anytime the twist is like, oh, it's built on a cemetery grounds. A lot of people must be like, oh, my God, that's so unoriginal. But every time I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah, exa- yeah, that is that is prime pickings for some spooky stories. All right. 100% of the time you're built on an old cemetery, there's going to be some ghost sightings. Yeah, exactly. And also it sort of makes me think of um, the Five Nights at Freddy's lower a little bit. Oh, there we go. Tying it in. Bring, you know, making it relatable to the kids. Tying yeah. in Five Nights at Freddy. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, there's a it's, it's about this pizza place, right? That's like possessing their animatronics um, uh, uh, costumes and things like that. And uh, it's hella creepy. I mean, uh, it, it is hella creepy. So I'm, I'm, I don't know if they maybe took inspiration from there because I haven't heard 
about like haunted pizza places that much like so i wonder if they took inspiration from that that may be i didn't find that when i was doing my digging online but mm, okay. who knows maybe they stole it and they want to keep it on the dl <gasps> you know damn all the tea <laughs> all the tea so again <laughs> don't quote us don't quote us <laughs> if you have a hometown horror story of your own to share again shoot us an email over at fear on tap podcast at gmail.com and that is going to bring us to the end of episode four already four episodes we, we did it four episodes deep if you want to talk to us about horror be sure to follow us on social media at fear on tap my personal handle is at miles dompierre and my personal handle is at the slasher chick and miles do you want to let people know what we're going to be talking about next week yes next week we're going to be talking about the megan fox banger jennifer's body yes so, so excited i've never seen it i know you have seen it and much mm -hmm. like ice cream man this is one you've been recommending as well yeah. so i'm excited to check it out i don't know why i didn't watch it at launch around launch to be honest because it was a horror movie and i you know pretty well watch will watch any horror movie that goes to theaters but for some reason it's eluded me all these years well, the marketing surrounding it was awful as well. So I think that they really done that movie dirty at the time that it launched. It's It has a bit of a redemption now. They're doing a bit of a better job uh, portraying it as a horror movie. But back then, they very much sort of lumped it into like, oh, it's like Mean Girls, but bloody. You know, it was kind of annoying how they just put the whole marketing strategy into like, this is hot, sexy Megan Fox and she eats boys. And it's like, this super dumb sort of like marketing campaign type of thing, but it's actually a really good movie in my opinion, but you don't have to love it. But yeah, so I'm, I'm very excited for, for you to, to watch in and share your thoughts. Yeah. So if you want to join us for our conversation on Jennifer's body for episode five, be sure to check that out and we will catch you guys next week. Have a good week. Goodbye. Bye.